When you do what you love, like running, racing your bicycle, or enjoying the great outdoors, you want to do it for life. Inside Tracker can help you do just that. Inside Tracker was founded in 2009 by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics. Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, your DNA, your lifestyle, and your nutritional habits, and then tells you how to live, look, age, and perform better. Using their patented algorithm, Inside Tracker analyzes your body's data to provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside you and to then offer you science-backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Then, Inside Tracker tracks your progress every day and helps you reach your performance goals as well as helping you live a longer, healthier life filled with those activities that you love to do. Right now, listeners of the podcast get a special deal on Inside Tracker. You can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com slash velonews. That's insidetracker.com forward slash velonews to get 25% off the entire store. Thanks to Inside Tracker for sponsoring today's episode of the podcast. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back to the Villain News Podcast. Fred Dreyer coming to you Wednesday morning. Busy morning. We just got finished watching Stage 17 of the Tour de France. That, of course, the first big giant summit finish in the Pyrenees went up to the Col de Portet. And we saw Tadej Pogacar win the stage after a thrilling battle. And on today's podcast, we are going to break it down before we get a little soundbite at the end from Jonas Vingegaard, one of the stars of the stage, second place, moves into second place overall. Uh, on the podcast today, coming back, it's Saiv O'Shea. Saiv, I got to imagine, like, are, is your voice hoarse from so much podcasting? Are you podcasted out? Um, if podcasting were an endurance event, how uh, is your condition at this point? Um, well, I feel like I'm kind of coming into that, that last climb right now. I'm at the, the, the base of the climb. Ineos is sort of drilling it on the front and I'm kind of just about hanging in there, I think. Uh, wait, is it Ineos of 2021 or is it like Sky of 2017, 2018? Uh, more Sky of 2017. Oh, no. Oh, Sky, that's horrible to hear. Uh, well, we'll go easy on you then on the podcast. I I feel like I'm getting my third week wind that you used to hear about in sort of the late 90s, early 2000s, where riders were like, I like to race my way into fitness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I get stronger as the Grand Tours go along somehow, because uh, that's just uh, that's just the way bike racing goes right now. A um, lot to talk about today. Big stage, huge ramifications on the GC, huge ramifications on the KOM battle, and just huge ramifications, I feel like, on our temperature check on Tade Pogacar's UAE Team Emirates team. Because just 24 hours ago, Saif, you and I had a great discussion about how UAE was approaching this Tour de France like jazz, man. It was like really freewheeling. Yeah, they were protecting Pogacar, but they were letting breakaways going up the road. They were having this Tour de France have this free-flowing, you know, you know, free-flowing sort of uh, artsy jazz feeling to it. A lot of improvisation, a lot of long solos, and they were just kind of doing what they had to do. Today, they clamped down and it was marching music. They controlled the peloton from the gun. They let breakaways kind of get up the road, but kind of kept them on a short leash and really controlled the peloton until the final kick up the uh, uh, Col de Portet. I mean, what was your takeaway when you saw UAE start to ride with this very controlled style? 
They'd obviously been listening to the podcast over the last few weeks and they went, uh, we're not having any of this. We're not having you criticize our uh, way of racing. And then, um, yeah, it was it was interesting to see them suddenly decide to to take things up. And I guess maybe it's, well, they they were kind of interested in that that stage win today and and doing something at the finish, whereas they haven't really been that bothered about it um, over the last couple of weeks, and perhaps as well with it being the final week, they just want to make sure that this is controlled. They don't want anything ridiculous to happen. They don't want Carapaz or Vingago to take a a flyer kind of from sixty or seventy k's out and suddenly take like six minutes to a, a Chris Froome um, at the Giro d'Italia. So, you know, it's, it's probably a little bit of wanting that stage win and just wanting to make sure that you know, they don't do something stupid in the last week. Yeah, and this was one of the stages for something crazy like this to happen. This stage was nearly a carbon copy of the stage we saw in 2018 when a big breakaway got away on the uh, Parasword and Nairo Quintana ended up winning this stage. This year, you know, they tacked on whatever 50, 60 extra kilometers of flat before getting to the climbs. But when I looked at the profile, you know, shark's teeth right at the end with the Parasword, the Col de Valoran, Aze, and then the summit finish to the Col de Portet. It's like if you wanted to sow some chaos in this race, like that would have been a great time to do it. But hey, UAE Team Emirates taking off the gloves and really playing good defense. We saw a great ride from American Brandon McNulty, who looked like he pulled almost the entire second half of the Col de Val Aze before pulling the first part of the Col de Portet. And Rafael Mica, you know, the other day I gave Rafael Mica a hard time on the uh, Mont Ventoux stage for, you know, yeah, he made it to the finish, but he was able to pull for like a little while, and, and that was the end of him. And today, he put in a very strong pull, sort of the midsection of the Colt de Portet before Pogacar attacked to set up the thrilling finale. And so, you know, Team UAE Emirates maybe not flexing its muscles every single day as we've seen Ineos and Yumbo Visma do, but really targeting the right moment to like put in a big, strong ride to uh, to keep their teammates safe. Uh, what was your take on, you know, potential for like Ineos to grab a hold of the race or to try and, you know, so discontent? We saw Ineos the other day on the um, Ventoux really ride aggressively. Didn't really see as much of that from them today. What was your take on that? Um, yeah, I mean, the, the stage sort of did present itself as a day that something big could happen if somebody was intent on doing it. I mean, all three of today's climbs were big, brutal climbs. And I don't know, maybe with with the length of the lead-in, that sort of dampened things somewhat compared to the last time we saw this parkour where it was just full gas right from the start. Um, And yeah, I was surprised to see Ineos not really doing much today. Although perhaps they they were feeling a little bit weaker today. I mean, we saw Richie Port get dropped surprisingly early, given how strong he has been over the last um, few weeks. In the end, it was um, Castroviejo that who I mean, you bet your house on Castroviejo doing something in any race that he does. He's kind of I think one of the most underrated domestiques there is in the bunch um and he he pulled he pulled a, a fine job out in the in that final climb but as as a whole Ineos were unusually quiet today and I was quite surprised because 
like I said, today today was an opportunity to do some sort of chaotic move. Um, and yeah, really try and take the race to the others. Yeah, we saw Carapaz try in the finale. You know, Pogachar attacks and draws out Pogachar. Uh, Carapaz and Vingagor and those three, you know, duke it out for the last 5Ks or so. And Carapaz put in a big dig inside 2Ks to go, drop Vingagor, put in another dig, you know, was not able to drop Pogachar, but really looked like he was like getting getting his aggression out on the road. And then right before the line, Vingagor caught back on and uh, Pogachar accelerated for the stage win and Vingagor got second and Carapaz lost some time. I, it felt like it was sort of a poetic justice of this year's or not poetic justice it was emblematic of Ineos's Tour de France this year which was like a lot of effort looking pretty good at certain points of the race but right at the moment when things had to be decisive like just didn't go right for them and so uh, Carapaz I mean he did step up one space in GC but I do think today was a bit of a, a setback for him you know the big loser in the GC battle today was Rigoberto Uran who was distanced when Pogacar made his first acceleration and slipped down two spots in GC from second place to fourth place. He'd been a real question mark for me up to this point. Yesterday, I talked about him being sort of my bellwether for like how fast the front group was going at this race. I mean, we've seen him ride very consistently, very strongly in the front group on some of these uh, larger mountains. But today was like that acceleration got old uh, Rigo. And um, I don't know, what were your thoughts when Rigo slipped off the back and what do you expect to see from him in the next couple stages? I was a little disappointed to start with because it would have been nice to see uh, him have hold on and kind of, and also just yeah add another rider into that mix because he's he yeah, he has been so consistent and he's looked so comfortable as well you know he's never really looked like he's particularly out of his comfort zone over the last two weeks um and today yeah just that that late um attack when when Pogacar, Carapaz and Vingago pulled clear um yeah the the goose was cooked i think on that on that occasion um and yeah, his unless he can pull something out of the bag tomorrow, I think his chances of taking a podium um, are kind of, I would say, almost almost gone. Um, he's got was about a minute and a half to Carapaz now in third place. Um, and I know that Carapaz doesn't have a time trial really and Iran does. I don't think that the gap between them is that big. Um Particular, yeah. So I think I think Iran will need to do something to try and take a little bit of time back on on Carapaz tomorrow, if he wants to try and um, regain a chance of getting on the podium in Paris. Yeah, he lost a minute forty five to Carapaz, one forty nine to Pogachar, and like you said, I mean, he's a really good time trialist, but I don't know if he's that great of a time trialist compared to Carapaz in this final time trial. But hey, the last time trial, I mean, crazy stuff happens. People people slam on the gas pedal and put, put, put like a poof of smoke comes out of the tailpipe and they don't go, they don't go so well sometimes. So that to me is like one of the big now unknowns uh, left in this Tour de France and the GC battle as we head in there is like, okay, you know, Uran versus Carapaz, like what's going to happen there? I think Jonas Vingagor pretty consistently going to be in second place. He looked a lot stronger than Carapaz. Although 
you know, stage 18, another big summit finish. That could be an opportunity for Carapaz to leapfrog Vingagor because they're only separated by four seconds right now. Um, I expect to see Carapaz wanting to attack to like pad his lead on Uran and maybe try to leapfrog Vingagor or get some type of advantage on him heading into the time trial. Because, you know, Jonas Vingagor has shown himself to be a pretty good time trialist. And I think on paper right now, you would look at him and say he is likely to get second place in the Tour de France, which I was looking at, I was doing some frantic Googling to try and put what Jonas Vingagor has done at this Tour de France into perspective. And I got to admit, I have yet to find an answer. Um, we see breakthrough rides in the GC battle at the Vuelta España and the Giro d'Italia like every year, every other year. You know, last year, uh, both the guys, you know, Teo Gegenhardt and Jai Hindley, both huge breakthrough rides. Um, we see at the Tour de France, it's like we see breakthrough rides, but they tend to be for stage wins. Um, I can't remember the last time a guy went from this level of obscurity to potentially being podium or second place in the Tour de France, like at this level. I, I've been trying, I've been looking back through the results and I just, I don't know, it's kind of breaking my brain right now. <laughs> yeah, Vingegaard's kind of rise to to the podium or potential podium at the Tour de France has been quite meteoric. And I think that kind of sums up his whole career like he's kind of gone through quite large steps in in performance um and i think that in part has a lot to do with with how he um how he started his kind of cycling career um we spoke about it uh, last week in the way he was splitting time between working and training um and so you know there's quite big improvements that can be made with vingago um, and I think we're kind of seeing that this year. The uh, Juma Visma's had two years now to kind of work on him, um, but it's still his ride this year has been quite surprising. I don't think anybody, including himself, expected to see him doing that. Obviously, he came here for Roglic, but even when when Roglic was obviously going to be leaving. Um, I don't think he expected to be hanging into onto second place. And I don't think the team did as well. They were slightly concerned about his mental fragility and whether or not he had the mental capacity to actually cope with a big GC battle like this. But he's definitely proven himself, particularly today, with the way that he chased on after that Carapaz attack. You know, he didn't panic. He knew that it would be bad for him to try and go into the red on a climb like that. It was about pacing himself, um, and it was a very mature ride um, from from Vingegaard today. Mm. I know that mental capacity has been something that the management here has worried about with me with this many podcasts. They're like, whoa, week three, uh, keep an eye on Fred Dreyer. His, he may crack and <laughs> start just uh, uh, saying jibber-jabber like his two-year-old daughter into the microphone. But uh, that hasn't happened. I feel like I'm like Jonas Vingegaard. I'm, I'm keeping it together. Now, I'm with you. You know, I, I, you know, we, looking at history, it's sort of like Roglic flirted with the podium in 2018 but by that point he'd already won a stage he'd won a stage of the Giro d'Italia like you know he was on the radar uh, when Pogacar won 
Uh, last year, he'd already been on the podium at the Vuelta. He had won world tour races. Like He was on the radar. Um, even Nairo Quintana, when he finished uh, on the podium in 2013, he'd won a stage at the Dauphiné. He'd won Tour L'Avenir. I mean, he wasn't a star yet, but there were results you could point to in his recent past to say, oh, look out for this guy. Vingegaard, I mean, you can look at some of the results this year, but like if you look at 2020, 2019, 2018, you don't see the like, oh, you know, stage of l'avenir, you know, top 10 at uh, Catalunya or something like that, where it's like a like a keep an eye on this guy. So what he's what he's doing at the Tour de France, I mean, let alone the physical side of it, but like you said, the mental and emotional side of having that much pressure to be on this stage and what he's he's doing is completely uh, unbelievable. And uh, I think that listeners should like make note of this. Remember this. Like this is actually a pretty like this is a pretty thrilling ride that we're seeing at the at the Tour de France. It's a pretty historic ride, too. Um, and and yeah, I was just like thinking about it like, you know, yet another GC star to merge at the Tour de France who has a name that is completely unpronounceable. For most Americans. Oh, it kills me. Tadej Pogacar, Primoz Roglic, Jonas Vingagor. I'm like, come on. Bob Bob Smith. Or like I I, I don't know, maybe a like maybe like a cool bike name like um like a Bob Watt or you know Jim Hammer or something like that. Can we get a Jim Hammer to battle for the podium? <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like I can't really complain about anybody's strange names. Um, I haven't really got a leg to stand on with that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, my only challenge, which is probably everybody's challenge with my name, is remembering how to spell it. How many A's is the question with Jonas Fingergo? Yeah, a lot of A's there. And, you know, it is, it is a, he is Jonas, not Jonas. My name is Jonas. My name is Jonas. Um, something else came up in my conversation with Brent Bookwalter yesterday that I appreciated because I asked him about old Jonas. And he said, you know, one of the things that you do see in Grand Tour racing that allows situations like this to happen is, um, Guys who have the strength, but they don't have a ton of pressure on them. So you have to look at his situation, which is that he was second or third banana. Roglic goes out and like all of a sudden he's riding for GC, but there's not the level of pressure on him now that there's going to be next year and the year after that and the year after that. Like what we're seeing from Jonas Vingegaard is also it's this very special moment in time for him because at future Grand Tours, he's going to come in with tons of expectation, tons of pressure, and the stress and everything like that will be ratcheted up. Whereas right now, everything is just kind of a bonus. It's like this carefree experience for him because he is sort of this untested um, new guy. And so there's that. And, and Brent said something that I thought was really interesting, which was like, you know, there's a lot of young Fingergors in the in the peloton. They just never get the opportunity. There's a lot of guys out there who are very strong and who, if given the chance, might be able to like have a ride like this. But you know what? They're doing work for their teams. They're attacking into breakaways. They're sacrificing themselves. They are using their legs for other purposes. And so when you see a situation like this, that's actually pretty rare. It says a lot about the individual, but it also says a lot about the opportunity and the situation that's been given to a person and how utterly rare that is. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of the way that cycling is. And we see it sometimes as being this um, individual sport because, you know, you've only got one name on the on the trophy, but there's so many guys um, doing a big job for, for riders and you rarely get to see 
um, you know, how good they are. And sometimes, occasionally we get to see it, you know, we get to see it with Vingegaard in the, the GC, but you get to um, see it as well sometimes when you get big names that leave the race for whatever and suddenly they're, the team can go for the stages. So we've seen it with Bora Hansgrohe. Um, you know, we've seen it with uh, a few other teams during this Tour de France. Um, and yeah, it's, I mean, that that's kind of been one of the beauties about the Unsung Heroes series is we get to see some of the riders that are doing their jobs day in, day out, and they're doing huge, big jobs, but they don't really get much recognition, you know, aside from maybe the the Tim de Clercs of the, the Peloton because we see them on literally on the very front of the Peloton every single day. There's so many very strong riders that we don't really see because they're domestiques. I have loved the Unsung Heroes um, stretch of stories. And Saev, you just published what was your final Unsung Hero of the 2021 Tour de France. Um, Give me a couple highlights. Like we talked about some of the, you know, pieces you had done, Damar's lead out man being a single father, some of the other stuff out there. But when you think back to your reporting around the 2021 Unsung Heroes series on VeloNews.com, what will be some of the anecdotes and some of the points that uh, stick out in your mind? Um, I think, I mean, it's just the, the love and the passion that all of these riders have for, for what they do um, and the dedication that they give primarily for other people knowing that, you know, they're not going to to win. Um, I I enjoyed speaking to Jacopo Guarnieri. That was quite a nice conversation that we uh, taught on a topic that we don't normally hear about single parents in the peloton um my last one was with with michael shaw and that was quite a fun one because he's been in the peloton for for so long and so he's kind of been through the the kind of the whole range of you know emotions and experiences at the tour he's doing his 11th tour de france um and it was nice to kind of speak to him about how he's he's learned to appreciate some different things as he's got older um and when he's riding he likes to kind of look at fans on the side of the road and and see them being really happy that the riders are are coming past and he has a deep appreciation for the fact that the fans have stood on the on the side of the road for like 6 hours or they've been kind of in a camper van for the last 3 days just so they can watch the riders go by in a space of about 10 minutes um you know and yeah he likes to kind of just take that in um so that that was yeah that was really nice and listening to them talk about some of the experiences they get on the on the road that we don't normally see as well, like Lucas Postelberger talking about grabbing some slices of pizza from the fans and that in the in the Gruppetto. Maybe not this year and last year because you know COVID. Um, and that's still a thing. And um, but yeah, like just having some fun with the fans on the side of the road because you know what else are you gonna do when you're kind of busting a gut trying to get up a massive climb? You know, have a slice of pizza and a beer. Just don't tell the DSs because they might not be too happy with you. Is that sponsor approved pizza? That's not the team sponsored pizza. Oh, what are you doing, Puzzle Burger? Put some, 
put some electrical tape over the box of that pizza that pizza box we can't let uh, the cameras see you eating a uh, sponsor incorrect pizza um i've really enjoyed the unsung heroes series too it has given a complete new dimension a new look at this year's tour de france and this year's tour de france like last year's tour de france where access has been such a pain in the butt and we haven't been able to talk to these riders and whatever um being able to tell these personal stories um because of the hard work and the, the the sweat and the toil and the elbow grease of you, you know, doing the gumshoe thing, calling all these people up and organizing interviews. I've really appreciated it. So I've, uh, kudos to you. And you can read those all on the site right now. So uh, the listeners will be listening to this, you know, likely in the lead up to tomorrow's stage 18. Another big monster day in the Pyrenees, 194K um, from Poe to lose R.D. Dent. Poe. If you're going to be embroiled in a doping controversy, that's the town to do it in. Um, also, they have fabulous duck. That's that's what I know about Poe. That's, that's what I can tell you about Poe. Uh, we go through um, France's creepiest town, Lourdes. Have you ever, have you ever had any uh, Lourdes experiences? Uh, no, I have been to Lourdes for the start of a tourist stage, um, but that's I have very few recollections of it. Other than I think maybe getting elbowed in a in a scrum. So you didn't soak in the healing waters. No, I did not. Lords is an interesting one. People ask me about it sometimes, and I'm like, yeah, I mean, you should go check it out. Um, it's a little, you know, kind of kind of creepy statues. Like, if you were going to set a horror movie, um, involving like I don't know the Catholic Church or something like that, that's where you you'd probably do it. Um, phenomenal backdrop backdrop and uh, very picturesque town, but yeah, there's uh, elements to it that are a little creepy. Yeah, Galicia is pretty much the same in Spain. So if you ever go to the Vuelta in Galicia, it's full of lots of weird statues and um, yeah. Swirls. We also had a funny encounter with a farmer yeah. as we tried that the wrong way down a, a road. Uh, then they go right onto the Tourmalet, big soaring long climb. I believe this is the high point of this year's Tour de France. And then long, crazy descent, and then the uh, long, grinding climb up to lose Ardiden. I, I am expecting to see our KOM uh, challengers attack like crazy on the Tourmalet and to see one of them try to do the Tourmalet loser Ardiden double because there are double KOM points available up at Luzardiden. So my guess is that he who, uh, if, if some KOM challenger is able to win up there, they're going to, they're going to sew things up. Cause right now it's still pretty close between Wout Pools, Nairo Quintana and our man, Mike Woods. Um, and Tade Pogacar and Pogacar is now up there too. Yeah. So, I mean, if, uh, if things go well for the GC guys, we could see Pogacar taking, three jerseys again i mean i think uh yeah the green jersey is probably a little bit of a stretch from now but um yeah he could certainly take three jerseys home with him oh to be so young and talented and good at what you do that was not what i was doing when i was 22 23 years old so i was still very much trying to figure my stuff out still am 17 years later but uh who's counting i don't think anybody ever figures out what they're doing (laughs) i certainly haven't i spend most of my day trying to figure out what on earth i'm doing I know. Well, uh, it's going to be a thrilling stage 18. You can read about it all on VeloNews.com. Read the phenomenal reporting and writing of Sive and my wacky takes and uh, tune in for another episode of the VeloNews podcast. We're ticking things down here. We've uh, really enjoyed having you uh, on these four times a week podcasts. And uh, I believe tomorrow, Thursday, stage 18 will be our final one before we go back 
to the once a week podcast schedule. But for Sai Voshe, this is Fred Dreyer. We're going to hear from Jonas Vingegor um, towards the, you know, at the end of this podcast. But I appreciate you all tuning in. It's been a lot of fun. Today's episode brought to you by Inside Tracker. When you like what you do, like running, bike racing, enjoying the great outdoors, and you want to do it for life, Inside Tracker can help you. Inside Tracker uses their patented algorithm to analyze your body's data and provide you with a clear picture of what's going on inside you to offer you science backed recommendations for positive diet and lifestyle changes. Right now, you can get 25% off the entire Inside Tracker store by going to insidetracker.com forward slash velonews. That is Inside Tracker dot com forward slash Vela news. Thank you so much to inside tracker. Let's get back to the show. Well, I'm, uh, I'm tired now. Um, what a stage. Yeah. Second, I'm a uh, second in DC. So yeah, I'm uh, <coughs> super, super happy <coughs> about how it went. And uh, oh, yeah, one mountain stage left and uh, I'll do my best. So uh, oh. the run dropped and then you were three together with the same goal huh, to, to yeah. the yeah, but Garapas didn't want to work and I think he was playing with us, so uh, thanks. And then he attacked in the end, but I was luckily strong enough to come back and then uh, out sprinting. And uh, I'm super happy about it. Um, yeah, this was a typical ray of riding of Garapas, otherwise maybe you could even sprint for the win. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, yeah. Pogacar was just super strong, so uh, I don't think yeah, I would. A good sprinter, so. Yeah. No regrets and uh, yeah, very good day. Yeah, yeah no regrets and uh, yeah, a super super day. So. Uh.